You've hit play on The Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. So this episode is a compare and contrast between two comic book Marvel movies, one that started the MCU, one that was outside of that whole deal earlier in the 2000s, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and Jon Favreau's Iron Man. So let's get into it. First of all, since these are both comic book films. John, what's your history with comics? I read a lot of Spider-Man growing up and uh, random other comics, but Spider-Man's my wheelhouse. He's my big go-to. Are there any particular comic storylines you remember fondly from the books? Or characters? Everyone loves Venom. Uh, Watching Venom slowly become a popular good guy was a lot of fun. Craven the Hunter always sat well with me. I just liked the idea, because I grew up, you know, on a farm in dairy country, so it made the most sense of a dude who's just like, I'm a hunt people. So if we go back in time to the 90s and very, very early 2000s, the lack of comic book movies, do you recall how you felt around the time of X-Men coming out? I was excited. All the movies then were like, especially the late 90s was such a weird time for cinema. Every movie was about how it couldn't get any worse and the world was basically ending. I remember being very excited for X-Men, but then they, they didn't go full comic book and those outfits were dark and Spider-Man was coming soon. I was just hoping they weren't going to totally change his outfit. Do you remember what it was like to see the the teaser trailer or maybe a poster and to just see a pretty graphically accurate Spider-Man? I do remember the teaser specifically. I think he was webbing a uh, helicopter to the Twin Towers. Oh my god, back when teasers were awesome, they didn't even announce what it was about, right? You're just sitting in the theater, and all of a sudden this teaser starts, and it's like, well, what's happening? Is this an action movie? Is this a thriller? Is this Heat 2 or something? And then it turns out it's Spidey, man! It was awesome! (laughs) And then they had to cut that trailer entirely after 9-11. I know. Uh, I kind of feel like that was an overreaction. I feel like by the time it got there, we were ready for the actual trailer anyway, but a lot of cinema did suffer from that. I didn't think this would turn into a uh, period piece about (laughs) American tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in a way, I feel like an anthropologist. I'm digging up this fossil, and man, this is showing the tragedy of American comic book film, in my opinion. You're coming good with the uh, fossil analogy. I've seen Spider-Man multiple times. It's one of the first movies I ever saw more than once at the theater. It's beautiful every time I watch it. Yes, I'll agree with that 100%. Like you said to the X-Men, it wasn't comic booky enough. And you're right, this one brought not just the characters' looks and feels and everything, but like storylines. 
Oh, yeah. They used all the best parts of his origin. I feel like they overexplained his origin a little bit, especially the, the scene at the, uh, the research lab with all the spiders. Oh, yeah, a lot of, lot of exposition about the spiders. Because you're still trying to make it for a broad audience. Like, little kids, you could just say, oh, radioactive spider, and call it a day. I would have loved it if it was a radioactive spider. Instead, even after he gets bit by it, and, you know, usually I'll intro the movie, talk about the synopsis. Come on. Everybody knows the basic idea of Spider-Man. So you better be coming into this thing at least knowing the character a little bit. I'm not going to explain it because it's, it's just too good to, to start all the way from zero. We're starting halfway down the road and we're going to keep going. Yeah, everyone knows Uncle Ben dies. Right after he gets bit, and then he passes a giant screen that has to show all these genetically engineered spiders and all these powers that Peter Parker's eventually going to get. It's like, I, I get it, you know, you don't have to telegraph it that badly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it almost feels like they were a little um, self-conscious about it and that they needed to over-explain it so that people wouldn't laugh at them. As much as they could, a scientific basis. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Because, like, with X-Men, you can still pass off the justification for the story because it is allegory for uh, racial uh, tensions. But with Spider-Man, there's there's not a lot of that there. Like, you can use the characters to tell those types of stories, but that's not the underlying point of Spider-Man. What do you think are some of the bigger themes going on in Spider-Man? I definitely say courage. I think Stan Lee liked to use the character as a way to teach kids how to be better people, be more courageous in possibly scary situations. Uh, that's what I got from him as a kid. Well, as far as the uh, the presentation in this particular film, I think what Raimi was going for was to show that being a superhero isn't as glamorous as <laughs> you would think. Yeah, they're so masterfully done with the domestic stuff always rearing its ugly head. It's not just about people wearing spandex. Yeah. The whole story has a certain level of um, science run amok. And here's the bad stuff that can happen. Because all these characters, Spider-Man, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, they're all playing with science in a certain way, and it's all sort of um, man's hubris going for technology and ideas that maybe we're not ready for yet. Yeah, that's actually, that's a really good, really good view of it. Norman Osborn was so confident in his formula, and it just, it just made him a crazy man. He, like, ended up with the split personality, who was basically the jerk older brother, was like, yeah, let's go kill these people. I've always felt Spider-Man is a toned-down version, when we get into ideas, a toned-down version of David Cronenberg's The Fly. <laughs> and I was so upset. I wish the third movie, or fourth, whatever, but I really wanted to see him with six arms. Oh, yeah, to go to the, the man-spider route of having him mutate. I'm not saying make it that gross, but just could you just imagine if they went with a sort of a sad Spidey with six arms, and he's, he's figuring out how to hide his arms in his public life. 
<laughs> yeah, he'd have to wear like baggy. Everyone would just assume he's getting fat. He'd have to wear like baggy shirts and like <laughs> trench coats and stuff. And we know how Raimi's movies like to have some comedic moments, so I think we just figured out where they could find the comedy. Yes. So this movie, right? This was before the MCU. This was when I would say comics weren't a proven commodity. People were still, I know I was at the time, a little worried about, oh, are they going to do Spider-Man dirty? Now, take me back. Do you remember the first time you saw this in theaters? Yes. I definitely went to the midnight showing. Mostly what I did after the film was explain, try to explain uh, to the people I saw it with like where all the moments were from. Like when Green Goblin threw... Mary Jane off the bridge. I was like, oh, in the comics, that was Gwen Stacy, and she died. And, like, just being that, like, overexcited nerd because of the movie. I think I was a little disappointed in the Green Goblin outfit, but Willem Dafoe did such a good job that it didn't really matter. When I saw this thing, I remember getting chills uh, in the first act when, when he uh, starts swinging for the first time. Like, really swinging. Mm-hmm. This actually looks real enough, and I'm feeling it. He's not even fully Spidey yet, and already I'm loving this thing. <laughs> and the music, the swell of it. Ah, oh, Danny Alfman. He, he's got a particular lane, but he does it so well. If I wasn't paying attention, I wouldn't notice that the Iron Man soundtrack is on, but I would definitely notice the Spider-Man soundtrack is on. What do you think they got right about Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man? And what they got wrong. Oh, he, he was a bit dry humor-wise in the movie. I think it was my only real complaint. Yeah, not too quippy. Yeah, it's all situational. They definitely got, like, at the heart of Spider-Man is a little kid trying to survive being killed by adults. And they definitely got that right. As a general rule of thumb, Spider-Man should be out of his element in these fights. He should be slightly outclassed. And it's just luck or... The fact that he's so good on the fly that keeps him alive. Especially at the beginning of his career like this. Like, right out of the gate. What did you think of the costume? I liked them both. The Green Goblin costume, I wished it had been, like, the scary face from the comics. But I totally get the reason for the changes, and it's like, how do you do that? I think they tried again in Amazing Spider-Man 2, and they had it, like, be body horror, basically, on... To Han, and that didn't work either. Well, I think it could have worked. It's just that particular style. And that actor, I don't feel, worked very well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Did you ever read Ultimate Spider-Man? Uh, yes. The way they did Green Goblin in that one, where he's more kind of a Hulk analog as far as he mutates... Maybe not as drastically as in that book, but it would have been cool if maybe kind of a Jekyll and Hyde, Willem Dafoe facial features might have transformed a little bit, just so they could have given him more facial range, because he is doing his darndest to act with that mask on. His head is just shaking every other word. <laughs> He's bringing a stage performance to this that <laughs> would only work in that situation. If it was made today... What do you think they would change? Modern superhero movies really like their VFX shots. Maybe, like, the choreography, I feel, would be different. 
What is it with all the comic book movies now where it seems like everybody knows martial arts? <laughs> it just feels so cookie cutter. And that was something, sure, it wasn't as bombastic or, or well choreographed, but when you see Spider-Man and Green Goblin in this fight, they're very simple punches and kicks. And it makes sense because neither of them is super trained. It's a high schooler versus like a, a borderline geriatric CEO. And they just happen to have super strength. What was it that made Willem Dafoe say, you know, I see Tobey Maguire bulking up for this movie, but guess what? I'm not doing that. So I want you to give me a graphic on a television that shows my muscles getting bigger. <laughs> I don't know about the production process. Maybe he didn't have enough time when he got the role to do that. It's possible, because I know Tobey Maguire had to bulk up to convince the studio heads to let him be Spider-Man. I think I read somewhere that they were having the same issue with Tom Hayden Church as Sandman in the third one, and he had to go hit an exercise regimen also. Sandman, that, that's a different story, because his power, you know, he's such a amorphous thing ultimately he could be whatever he wants he could look like a total schlub and then kick your ass whereas spidey you expect him to to look muscular because it has to all work with the physicality and it could be skin tight suits spidey's in that suit you're gonna want to see those muscles you want to see those glutes clenching hard <laughs> i wonder how many uh stunt men they had in that movie to put on the suit that's a very good question that i don't i wish i knew the answer to <laughs> Even if they used stunt people for most of the Spidey shots, I think the fact that we did get to see him with his shirt off gives Tobey Maguire enough credibility with the performance. But let's talk about the supporting cast. Between this and Iron Man, the supporting cast in Spider-Man 2002 is just amazing. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is Mary Jane. I loved She's not quite what I have in mind if you go strictly from the comics, but I think she, she gave a great performance, and for this particular film, with the amount of drama they were putting into it and coming-of-age stuff, she did a great job. She did. There was a bit too damsel in distress. Going back to your what, what should be changed, she should be a more proactive heroine instead of just, I'm here so Spider-Man has stakes. James Franco. Is this his best performance? I'm going to say yes. I think Franco is similar to Nick Cage in that both are very known for their personas. But Nick Cage put in a lot of great movies before it got blown out of proportion. And it feels like Franco is Nick Cage, except without all the success all the good movies <laughs> this movie shows that kid can act yeah this definitely put him on the radar for a lot of people even one scene characters like bonesaw <laughs> and i don't know if macho man you could argue that his time in wrestling that was acting throughout as far as movies he's been in, I don't know if he did too much before this, but he's a dream in this. He is. He's beautiful, and uh, in the comics, the wrestler he faced was called Crusher Hogan, so I'm glad they changed that. I'll agree with you. I'll argue that 
his wrestling time counts as acting. Uh, they got to go in there. No one writes a script. They just got to go in front of a live crowd and be that character. So I think he was totally just in his element right there. Crusher Hogan, John, you just flexed hard with your geek cred. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you dare challenge me. If you go on a deep dive, I'll start pulling references out of my ass and we'll see who's got more. <laughs> Now we're definitely heading towards a fatigue of comic book movies. But I still think Spider-Man could hold his own in this modern market. But is it a fatigue of subject matter, this comic-to-screen adaptation stuff? Or is it just the quality of these comic book movies outside of your Infinity War, your Endgame? Hmm. An intriguing question. I'm just going to cut to the chase and say, I think that's totally the problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair, yeah. Watching Tobey Maguire as Spidey, Tom Holland has that age factor on him. I think they did a great thing to make him a really young character that you buy. Mm -hmm. But still, Tobey Maguire, man, he I think he's only supposed to be maybe 19 or 20 by the end of the first movie. Clearly, he does not look that young. No. This movie, without the superhero stuff, could play like a coming-of-age drama, like another Cider House Rules that he did around the same time. And his performance, it just, it totally works. His big, watery, saucer eyes. There's, yeah, there's, a, there's an innocence, there's a naivety to him that works as Spider-Man versus... I think, like, Andrew Garfield was more aggressive about it, and that didn't work as good. What do you think are intrinsic character traits for Peter Parker's Spider-Man? He's definitely got to hold on to that good-hearted nature and being polite with everybody. Peter Parker doesn't want to upset people. Like, he'll stand up for what's right, but in, like, an everyday conversation, he'll steer away from tough subjects. There's that underdog quality that I think there should always be a hint of that in Peter Parker. The way they show him getting picked on in the first five, ten minutes just tells you everything you need to know about how this kid has grown up and dealt with bullying probably most of his life. In the quips in the comic books, I always felt it as like uh, almost a defense mechanism. I always imagined his quips were more of a sign of that's how he could kind of come out of his shell because nobody knew he was puny Parker. Oh, that's that's yeah, that's a really good look at it too. He, he's just purely Spider-Man then. So that's where Spider-Man comes. That's the confident part of him because no one's actually looking at him. Whenever he's written as very quippy in his civilian guys, that never quite sat right with me. No, that does not play. I don't think Peter needs to be the nice guy. Spider-Man needs to be quippy. He should eternally be, when he's Peter Parker, shrugging a little bit. Or hunching, like he says in the movie. <laughs> I hunch. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> well, now we're going to go to a movie that doesn't quite make me happy. However, I still say Iron Man is a fine film. Go see it if you haven't seen it. But I saw a lot of problems with it this go-around. Yeah, thinking about, like, some of the subject matter was, like, 
typical Hollywood. Did you have to go there with it? When you pair it with Spider-Man, it just really shows some of the problems in Iron Man. Because you go, look at this comic book gem of a film, and look what you can achieve if you're really going for it, and then look at Iron Man. (laughs) Okay, my first gripe about this movie, it feels so surface level, and I think Robert Downey Jr. definitely can give a good performance, but what else does he really have to play except being a snarky alcoholic? His character arc is definitely the opposite of your standard hero. If you look at like Thor, he's like overly arrogant, and then his character arc is to become somewhat humbled, whereas these things keep happening to Tony Stark that make him more dangerous than he was, and he plays off that in himself so to the point of arrogance. He gets more reckless as the movie goes on, he makes the suit, and you almost got to wonder, well, you got Rhodey right next to you. He's been trained. He's actually in the military. Why not have him suit up? Why would you need to suit up, considering you're just some billionaire guy? That's an amusing point, because there's they do a teaser of the War Machine character when Terrence Howard looks at the other suit and says, maybe next time, and then they replace him, so he didn't get his next time. Do you think... The role is better with him or Don Cheadle? That's tough, because I do like Terrence Howard, but I think Don Cheadle played it more as a friend, whereas Terrence Howard played it more as I'm a military liaison to this guy. I think so, 100%. That's why I would prefer Terrence Howard had continued in the role, because he's, he's got a certain edge, an anger to him, that I think would pair well with how jokey Tony Stark gets if you had somebody next to him telling him to knock it off every now and then. Yeah, you need a straight man. You need a straight man in those comedy duos. The way Terrence Howard played it, he didn't seem like a cold killer. The way Don Cheadle played War Machine, it looked like he would just murder fools for no reason. Now, I'm curious, do you happen to have a little list of issues you have with the movie? Yes, I do, actually. So you start us off. What's on your list? I wish there was more character flaws. Like, in the comics, Iron Man is famously an alcoholic, and he has to overcome that, and they don't address that in the movie at all. Like like I said earlier, he just gets more arrogant and dangerous as the movie goes on. And you would think if anything is going to trigger your alcoholism, it would be having been captive in a cave for, what, a couple months at least? Yeah, that's, that is grounds for legitimate PTSD. Once they, they kind of bring up that he might have and then play it off like, well, I, why would he ever have PTSD? He was only a prisoner for three months. He was straight up waterboarded, and he bounced back pretty quickly. It must have been that artificial heart of his. He, did, he even said in the movie he saw people die to his own weapons. Yeah, he got, I feel like he got over that way too quickly. He did. Okay, one I got on my list is the first villain in this first Iron Man movie is essentially the doppelganger trope. And I think all comic book heroes eventually need that mirror image, like Spider-Man and Venom. Mm -hmm. 
But you don't do that with your first villain. You do that after you've clearly established your main character, and then it makes it more poignant to see what the obverse of Iron Man would be. Whereas if you do the doppelganger in the first movie, it just feels kind of lazy, because all you did was take Iron Man, and instead of really fleshing out a bad guy, it's like, oh, just take Iron Man and make the suit bigger. Yeah, and that is all they did. And at that point, the the villain isn't even Jeff Bridges. It's not even the Lebowski. <laughs> it's this suit that Ironmonger, uh, Obadiah Stane, has come up with is just another extension of Stark's military creations. What's the uh, next one from your list? I think having those bad guys be Middle Eastern was just so cliche, like painfully so. The reason for them to hold him captive and expect him to build a Jericho missile with the materials they had available to him, mm-hmm. you expect him to make an exact duplicate? He knows how to make weapons, and you're going to let him tinker away almost unsupervised? All it shows them the terrorists doing is watching them on a video feed. The video feeds... I think it was just like, what, one camera or something? Like, there were definitely blind spots in that cave that he went to uh, when he put the suit on. And what I hate is when there's a plot hole and the only resolution to it is to say the plot hole out loud. (laughs) That's not an actual solution. No, it's not. One of the terrorists looks at the Jericho missile, a photograph of it, and goes, hmm, that doesn't look like this at all. Yeah, exactly. Go in there and torture somebody. Like, we're here to torture and (laughs) go torture someone until we get what we want. They're both origin movies, which I don't mind an origin movie as long as it's told well. You know, anything told well, I think, can be acceptable. But with this, how many times does he actually suit up and fight crime? Depends on your definition of crime. I mean... Inside the United States Penal Code, he doesn't (laughs) stop any crime whatsoever. I counted him suiting up three times where he actually fought somebody or did something, was on a mission. And that's counting when he first puts on the suit in the cave. And then there's the part where he goes to that village and helps the villagers out. And then there's the end. Really not much superheroics going on. Really, everything Obadiah Stane did, the U.S. government would have waved off easily for that suit. They would have easily said, like, okay, we're going to brush most of this under the rug. You can get us 12 of those, right? That too, man. Could you imagine if they took the techno-thriller tone of Winter Soldier and applied it to this first Iron Man movie? That could have been awesome. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The MCU in whole has didn't have a lot of respect for Iron Man villains. So the first movie, it's a doppelganger. Second movie, what is it? It's just a hundred suits. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's another do- it's it's this is evil Russian Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah. And that third one. Uh... Everyone is excited to see the Mandarin. They wanted to see the Ten Rings and all that, and you made a throwaway joke so you could make a Shane Black Christmas movie. I was really looking forward to the Mandarin. 
because I think he's a good version of the mirror type of character where you say, okay, Iron Man's all about technology, Mandarin's all about physicality, the spirituality, all his powers coming from within. He doesn't need any mechanized toys to be powerful. And they don't even they don't even do it. Nope, they just make another science man. The plot was a bit convenient at times. What plot? Okay. If you just look at the plot and what the twists and turns are, it's like a paragraph. It is. It's just Tony Stark gets captured. Uh, he goes to a few parties. He kills his old business partner in a hostile takeover. This leads into another gripe of mine, is that testing section of the movie, it just feels way too long. Yeah, like, one of your major action sequences is him just flying too high and then falling. It makes sense with Spider-Man to see him thinking about the costume, figuring out his powers. But all Tony Stark is doing is figuring out tech that we already know he's going to super succeed at. He's already got the repulsor stuff. Maybe if they saved one of his abilities for a later movie and showed him trying to incorporate the repulsor tech and it didn't work, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, damn, I'll have to come back to this or something, but he, he figures it all out eventually, so there's really no, no stakes to those scenes. It's just, yeah, he's going to do a suit. There's no mental obstacles for Tony Stark in any of these. Like we talked about earlier, he should have PTSD, but he gets over that easy. He immediately solves his icing issues. Uh, another thing was when he went, when he did end up going back to the Middle East and taking care of some of those terrorist cells, he said he was never going to make weapons again. And then the second he shows up, the Mark III, it's got all these little weapons for just the exact situation that they didn't establish. And most of these gadgets of his, they never show up again, do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> this started the mold. And every MCU movie since has borrowed liberally from it, probably because it's the same producers. Everyone else's origin story is this formula. There's that trauma in the beginning, and then the character goes through their stuff, and like all of them have to be quippy somehow. This is where you start with the weak villain, who in this movie doesn't even have a villain name. No. I'd never heard of him before the movie, and the guy had to read all the production manuals. Like, we're going with Ironmonger. And I was like, who? I've never heard of this guy. I think what makes Spider-Man work so well, whereas this one is pretty shallow, is that all those supporting characters really have something to do. And it doesn't just feel like steps they have to take and get out of the way so that you'll buy whatever character they're showing you. Because a lot of these other um, origin stories in the MCU, Doctor Strange comes to mind where I just didn't care about his origin at all because nobody around him has any real emotional heft or is interesting. All the people Strange had around him were gone by the time he got his powers. And he only happened to run into them towards the end to justify, I guess, them being there in the first place. Something else in these MCU movies. Pepper, why is she in love with Tony Stark? It's also like a cliche of, like, secretary to boss thing. Yeah, that feels a little me too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Uh, 
and he ignored her till he found her hot at the party. It's a bit of a insult that he got interested in her after he suffered this terrible tragedy and he's having all these mental issues maybe in the background. Yeah, he may or may not be emotionally distraught. But hey, in Spider-Man, by the end of that movie, I totally buy that Mary Jane, the popular girl, would actually have the hots for Peter Parker the nerd. Because they're out in the real world now, and she's like, I'm going to need a jock to not get a job. I mean, they they earned the love interest in Spider-Man, and in Iron Man, it just tacked on like a lot of MCU movies. It is, in general, you look at, like, Bollywood movies, and there's, like, huge dance numbers in the middle, and we think they're insane, but here we are putting these romances in every movie, no matter what. I could list, we did list, a bunch (laughs) of supporting characters in Spider-Man that give great performances. Do you think anybody gives an incredible performance in Iron Man? Like, they're all serviceable, but are any of them really great? I think maybe uh, Bridges, maybe, you could argue, but like, and he, he's at his best just at the end talking over a loudspeaker, not really <laughs> interacting with people in live. I think Jeff Bridges could have done so much more with that role, and he did the best with what he had, but there just wasn't enough of him. I feel like I remember reading like press releases before the movie of him talking about the character. And the thing he kept talking the most about is how he always wanted to shave his head for a movie role. And he didn't really talk about the character. Now, with all the criticisms, tell me something you thought the movie did really well, or a scene, or something that you really liked. Going back to Spider-Man, how they had to keep coming up with excuses to get the masks off. They come up with a really good system of where you still get the character in costume but can see their face. Awesome. It worked on multiple levels. Visually, it was interesting. It also told the story that, yeah, these guys are in suits, and it is very tech-minded. Just the suit in general, because, like, Spider-Man, he's just a kid, but he's got this Hollywood production-level suit out of nowhere when his first attempt was a jumper. Maybe give him the special suit at the end of the movie, but I kind of liked his initial outfit, his uh, wrestler suit. And the wrestler suit makes more sense of how what he would be able to get his hands on. Something I wasn't expecting that I would really like in this movie is Iron Man fighting relatable obstacles, such as tanks, jets... I love that jet scene where he's being chased by the Air Force because it grounds it. And I think that's something that got lost in the MCU pretty quickly. It went to 11 so fast instead of saying, why don't we just exist in this sandbox for a little while where we get to see them just deal with normal issues and normal adversaries before we get cosmic with it. The first thing he does is try to go to space. He's, he's got that Mark II, and he's like, I'm going to space. <laughs> Which makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, none whatsoever. He's immediately like, I'm, I'm going to set the altitude record and then fall to my death. 
I think the only reason they included that in the script is because they thought it was really clever when the bad guy gets dealt with in a similar fashion at the end. If he survived, you just gave him another R&D project for his murder machines. I think I tolerated it for so long because I was just so happy to see all these characters come to screen. Now looking back on it, there are so many flaws and missed opportunities, you know? Yeah, before we started even recording, I was thinking, I was like, man, I, I, think, I feel like that was better than I remember. And then, like, as we're talking about it, like, well, no, this was a problem, and that was a... Oh, no. <laughs> One of my big complaints with Grounded movies is how much you have to cut out from the comic book stuff. And we're definitely getting away from the Grounded aspect, but uh, at the same time, things like Iron Man and Spider-Man do seem to work better when you're a little more Grounded. I think comic book movies from now on are going to be less popular. You're going to have more rabid fans versus a broader base. Are there any characters they haven't done yet that you want to see a movie about? Moon Knight is kind of a crazy character, but he's getting a TV show. I'd like them to go back and give proper cadence to all the heroes that they sold off that had bad movies. I'm jaded and pessimistic for me i'm happy to just say the mcu ended with endgame and leave it at that however if they ever decide to really get into filmmaking and good storytelling i want to see a live action spider-man 2099 oh yes because that's something no comic book property to screen has done yet is that future superhero story. There's so many untapped properties on that aspect. Sony is fighting over Spider-Man right now, and there's like three iterations of the character they could use. And whoever gets to the future first, like the big thing right now is that multiversal stuff, which, yeah, whatever, it'll be nice to see Michael Keaton again. But I think the real frontier is those future movies, man. Either DC does Batman Beyond, or Marvel does 2099. I feel like I see Marvel 2099 first. Just because DC is desperate to get their base stuff off the ground right now. Do you think any of the MCU movies, pound for pound, is on the level of Spider-Man? From a story standpoint? No. No, because I think about like the two MCU Spider-Man movies, I think they're better... They might be better Spider-Man movies, but they're not better movies than the ones Rami made, in general. He made some quality masterpieces that it just flows so well. I would like to tell you the similarities between Spider-Man and Iron Man, and maybe one or two of these you have not considered. They both have red-headed love interests. Their names both include the word man <laughs> and are very gender normative. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and Iron Man bitten by radioactive iron. 